This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business. Hi, I'm Lee Seven, co-founder of Endear. And what I love about fashion tech is getting to be in fashion without actually having to design anything myself. Instead, I get to be the business partner of some true geniuses, people I really admire and really make sure that their businesses are, are growing at the pace they deserve. So it's been a real pleasure being in the industry. From New York City, you are listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Fashion Is Your Business. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Rako, and uh, with me, of course, Mr. Pavan Ball of Bellwether Culture. Hey, Pavan, how are you? Hey, yo, I'm doing well, Mark. How are you doing? Good. Uh, your acoustics sound different this show. You yeah, must have relocated. I am, I am in my wife's childhood bedroom, so complete with uh, prom pictures and everything. There are so many layers. Let's do a special episode. So, <laughs> like, live from Diddy's... <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. That is so interesting. I'm not going to be able to stop thinking about that weird dynamic right of the whole show. Yeah, it's just uh, like anytime I rummage through a drawer, I find like gold. Um, but the thing is, like, they kind of like, there's like a time capsule in this room. Like, nothing wow. has changed. You know what I mean? Are they waiting so. for her to come home someday? Yeah, or? I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> that, wouldn't, that, that wouldn't, that means they didn't instill much confidence in our relationship. That's for sure. <laughs> so. Well, anyway, uh, good to see you. And also joining us, of course, uh, Lee Seven. Uh, Lee, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you. Good to be here. So I'd love to uh, start out kind of researching you. Uh, who are we having on the show? Who is Lee Seven and everything like that? I love that one of the ways that your company, Endear, has been described, and maybe this is how you describe it, is, quote, a secret weapon for retailers. I love that. And so... My question is, either related to your company or not, right at this moment, what is it you think is the vaccine, if you will, forgive the pun, but (laughs) what is it that retailers need right at this moment more than anything that can be their EpiPen? Yeah, I think it's something that we had always believed in. And then all of a sudden COVID made everyone in the industry very, very aware of it, which is that the, just the idea that you would tell a salesperson that the only person they can sell to is someone who has already gone through all the hurdles of coming to your store and walking in. You basically said, yeah, you know, 90% of the work is done. You just have to sell this last 10% where these people are really talented. So I think What we believe to be sort of, as you said, the vaccine of our product is it made sure that salespeople can actually do their jobs outside of the four walls of the store, meaning they can use email and text. They don't need to be face-to-face with someone. They can actually even be more effective using digital channels than just what can happen in person at a store. So especially if stores are closed, stores are on limited hours, or people are just afraid to walk in, the idea that you can have that same relationship over text, especially, I would say, has definitely been that quote-unquote secret sauce for the product. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're essentially, it's a it's a CRM tool, foundationally, that's a plug-in with Shopify, correct? Yeah, it's a plug-in with Shopify. We work with a couple other POSs, but as far as sort of innovation and sort of adoption in the space, what we saw is that Shopify made it the easiest, especially for 
small and medium-sized brands and retailers where their tech might not be that sophisticated. Shopify makes life so easy that that just seemed like the lowest barrier to entry. Let's just get in on that market and, and let the product grow from there. But but yeah, for sure. Now, look, I, I think that we're going to spend some time on text because text is, I mean, it has been critical in terms of communication, especially over, I would say, the last couple of years, really seeing a growth. But I am curious about now, where do the products start? I know text is kind of an add-on in a way that, you know, a mechanism that these associates can now communicate with their, their customers and their prospects. But where did the product start and when? Do you want like the real version or like the I'm yeah, pitching good. you? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not. I mean, Mark and I don't have checks we're writing, so we're good. Oh, bummer. <laughs> um, so, so we, we, we are were, accepting so checks, however, out, just to be clear. <laughs> who isn't? I think literally government, investors, customers, any check you want to give me, I will take it. But for us, it was actually, we, we really grew it out of a, an old version or sort of a previous iteration of a product. So we actually started with what's now called our lookbooks module. Basically, it was the idea that if you've ever communicated with a salesperson at a store, they were always using text, they were always using email, it was really through their own personal accounts, which we can get into. But the biggest problem is like, you have e-com, you have multiple photos, well taken photos of every product, or at least the marketing team does, and the store associates were still putting it on themselves and taking selfies, putting it on hangers and taking pictures and sending it to customers. They would send like a dozen pictures over text all at once. And it was just really sort of clunky. It didn't link back to the e-com. So they'd be like, well, how do I buy this? And it was this, it was just kind of a mess and very full of friction. So our first sort of product, at least for our beta customers, was just a way for them to really seamlessly send connected linked photographs of all their products to customers by whatever means they wanted to. That we quickly realized was just like our foot in the door and barely even that. What mm -hmm. we realized that was a much bigger opportunity was the the communication aspect was, you know, having a centralized way to send texts and emails. And text and email, I think for us came out at the same time. We never thought that it it shouldn't be part of it because when we asked our potential customers they all said that for their top customers, it was always about text. They were yeah. always communicating with them over that Did you channel. start off with a luxury clientele? Actually, we started with like affordable luxury. So right. all these DTC brands that, you know, it was the, let's cut out the middleman. We're going to open a pop-up. Mm -hmm. We're going to have it be all connected. That was our that was our sort of entry point in the market. And, and what year are we talking right now? We're talking end of 2019. Okay. All right. So yeah, I mean, I'll say that South by of 2019 is when I noticed myself that text is now becoming the primary mechanism to communicate between brands and customers. And I never thought that that wall would be broken, right? Or like pierced. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of interesting. Can you tell me about text in terms of a conversion metric versus like email, which we've all been accustomed to talking about being the highest converter for sales? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy still for us and I think for a lot of other people because for our users, you're only going to text the customers you're most confident are going to convert because they know you. It still feels very personal and I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about the rise of text marketing and I know it's really effective today, but we've basically on some level like sullied this very intimate channel and hopefully it doesn't become like email. I feel like if you're using it for true personal conversation, which our product lets you do, that's great. But I don't want to have to start, and I already do, like unsubscribing from text constantly, having spam filters on my text. 
but the conversion rate is is outrageous. So we usually put our average conversion rate at about 3%, which is still multitudes better than what email marketing would see through like a MailChimp or a sale through or something like that. But text even blows that out of the water. It's usually around, I would say, nearly up to a 10% conversion rate. And because the open rate's probably ridiculous, right? The open rate's probably like 95%. Okay, so you can't actually measure open rate on a text. So anyone who yeah, gives you a sense. stat, yeah. including SMS providers yeah. that are like, we have a 99% open rate. They're not, it's nonsense. They don't know yeah, what they're talking You might have a 99% delivery rate. Yes, yes, right. yes, yes. That's, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> now, I'm sort of curious. For me, and this is just one person's opinion, one experience, I don't claim to represent how most people feel, but I feel very differently about things that come to me through email versus my text. For me, text feels more personal. When I get an uninvited text, I feel little, I feel almost like my personal space has been invaded where I treat email differently. Like that is my connection to the world. Whereas my phone is my connection, my, my text or my connection with my direct community. So mm -hmm. how do you account for how you're able to get through that different psychology? Maybe it's not an issue. But yeah. I, I want to jump in on that just to add conversation. Or, but, but I mean, look, as society, we've been moving now towards all messaging, like messaging mm -hmm. apps being ubiquitous in the way that we're communicating. So text ends up being a competitor now to Facebook, to Instagram, well, Instagram, Facebook, same shit, but like, or to yeah. Snapchat or to, to TikTok. It's, it's all one mm -hmm. and the same now and generations. So like for us being on the cusp of millennialhood and then prior generations, yeah, we feel really like, I guess, like there's an intruder in the room. If somebody, you know, if a brand is texting sometimes, but I think that the reality is, is that communication has just broken down and email is becoming obsolete. Like that's where that's going. So I'm yeah. wondering, like, that's why Lee's saying, like, she's working with younger brands, more digitally native brands, things of that nature, right? I mean, are you seeing, I, I mean, I, I might be talking for you, Lee, but like, what are you seeing? Like, what are the, what's the data points behind the, the user behavior? As part of this conversation too, it's like, yes, maybe the brand is younger or more digitally native, but they may still offer products that other generations want or other generations want to buy for younger generation, older generation wants to buy for younger generation. For me still, I'm still getting used to yeah. even people like sending me messages through Instagram and I consider myself fairly tech savvy and sort of with it for someone of my age. But I'm saying <laughs> that I, I'm still getting used to like, why you have my email, you have my text. Why are you now sending me, you know? through Instagram, but I'm starting to realize it's just the way it's going. But how do you realize also the experience that older generations, older generations, whatever, are expecting and be able to not mm -hmm. alienate them because of what we were talking about? So I guess it's a one big conglomerate mm -hmm. question. I think there were about 40 questions. Yeah. Fair enough. I think it's more <laughs> of a discussion. It's a discussion. It's a no, discussion. no, I agree. I, mean, I, 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 as a consumer, let's like start there because Pavan, what you said resonates with me too, which is with the people I talk to most, I am talking to them literally over email, over text, over DM, over WhatsApp. Like it's And it's constant. the same conversation. And it's the same conversation. And the best yeah. is when you don't remember which one happened where. Yeah, where do what's... I search for that picture? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, You're like, oh, <laughs> it's gone. So I think like at least for our generation, that's totally fine and enjoyable. The The only problem is sort of, as you said, that intruder vibe of like, okay, well, 
and quite frankly, for me, it's been mostly in the political space. I get so many texts from candidates I've never even heard of. And I, as a, a savvy technical person, know how to get rid of it. But like not every text has, right. a, you know, a link to unsubscribe. And it is becoming a little bit more like email right as it was becoming very a saturated market. Only a lot of us are now savvy enough because of email to know how to sort of cut it off at the head or really like mm -hmm. nip it in the bud, as you could say, which is you're not getting in here. Like I see it once and I'm deleting it. I'm blocking it. I'm unsubscribing. I, I just don't want it there unless I do. And that's really where, you know, sorry, I'm going to do this. Like that's where Endear comes in, which is like mm -hmm. we include unsubscribes with our text messages automatically. Yeah. But the coaching part of the product tells every user this is not a marketing channel. This is not a place to share a discount code or a promotion or make it a blast. It's it's really more about, you know, this lifeline to your customer because you can't see this person face-to-face. -face. So when you write that text, you should write it as if you are speaking to them one-on-one. -on -one. And if you can't do that, then just don't send the message because all you're going to do is mm. alienate that person, not make them want to come and chat with you. And I think the best part, though, is actually encouraging the opposite, which is something that I've started to do with doctors of mine, with other businesses in my world, which is encourage them to reach out to you. So nothing is better for our customers than when one of their shoppers texts in and says, hey, are you guys open today? Or hey, do you have this in stock? And they know they want to have a conversation and they can just respond honestly with some additional info. That's interesting. Yeah, because I, I guess uh, my thought thread has always been towards when it comes to text has been towards the marketing ability. So like for me, mm -hmm. again, yes, I've donated to things on change.org and then you start end up getting like a ton of different campaign notices. Same thing with when I go to a new barber or, you know, whatever it might be a, a service oriented business, I'll then get reminders to book my next appointment. I, I don't give a shit about my BMW dealership, mm -hmm. like calling me about like something I don't need. Right. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think that the, the, what you're doing, I guess, or what I'm hearing for Endier is, First of all, it's end ear versus end ear. End ear, like end ear, like I love an something endearing to person. Yeah, 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 totally. I want totally. to endear myself to yeah, you, which yeah, is yeah, where yeah, it yeah. exists. Yeah. What I'm hearing is that you're giving the ability or facilitating large companies or just companies to like act small and curated. Mm. So, like you know, one thing that That's I love a really about really good way to put it. Yeah, one thing that I love about shopping small and shopping local is the level of service that you get. And especially, and that's why I asked about luxury, because you generally still see that even if it is a large luxury totally. conglomerate, you still have that priority on the customer facing side. So that's interesting. Are there ways to send out blasts that still feel personal? A hundred percent. Yeah. But like, again, Endear is not, and we make this distinction all the time because it's, it's really important as you just laid out. We are not a marketing software. We're a sales mm -hmm. tool. So when you think of sales, right, it's farther down the funnel, it's a smaller audience, and with stores, you have more people reaching out to these these groups. So yes, you can basically, we call it either one, you can do one-to-one -one or one-to-many, mm -hmm. but like our one-to-many is not 10,000 people. Yeah. It's, it's maybe 200 people, or it's 500 people, or it's 20 people. Can we talk about the back end and like kind of what the technology enables these sales associates to do in terms of whether it's upsells or suggesting things that are relevant to like personality or like preference profiles and things like that? Are you doing those segments and then saying, okay, well, this, let's say, look would go towards these 600 people or 400 people exactly. and they would all enjoy it? Can you That's talk that exactly, through a little bit? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's exactly what we do. I think the, as I said from the beginning, we really think of ourselves as a CRM and the mm -hmm. first part of a CRM is literally customer management, targeting, segmenting. And so that integration with Shopify and with a couple other POSs gives our users the ability to actually do it based on the, the data points that matter to them. So we're talking about you know, who participated in the spring sale of last year? Who bought the leather jacket? Can we send them the new leather jackets? And the funniest part, right, is if you have a store in Miami and you have a store in New York and you have a store in California, you should not be sending winter clothes to your people in Miami. I mean, you can, but like their need for that stuff is irrelevant. Whereas what we always talk about for the Miami store is like incorporate so it does feel more personal Incorporate things that are going on in your local area. If you just had a hurricane, if you just had a rainstorm, if you just had a beautiful day, like what are the things that are going to convince your customer that you are in it with them, that you really understand what they need? It's the first time an associate has ever had access to data like this. I mm -hmm. think that was the big lesson is being able to look up even lifetime spend of a customer. Yeah. which is a lot of the time people have their quote unquote, their VIPs or their regulars. But those people are VIPs and regulars because they forged a connection. And it might have nothing to do with whether or not you're a really good customer. Some people are shy when they walk into a store and you have mm -hmm. no idea that they've actually shopped with you for 10 years and they've spent over you know, $10,000 with you. And Endear can give you that information to really show appreciations and thank you notes, really leverage the information that your POS has been collecting for potentially a decade. You know, yeah. this sounds like it's not just about driving engagement, but it's also can provide some level of customer experience. Can you talk a little bit about how Endear is able to participate or maybe examples or use cases uh, either that are in play or that you've ideated that can drive customer experience in a different way. So maybe even be a part of creating an experience that most people would not even expect. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're seeing a lot of it right now with COVID, which is quite frankly, there's nothing kind of less personal than an e-commerce site. I mean, at least any standard one, right? You're talking about I go on, I can maybe search by category. You're going to give me hopefully like a lot of filters and sorting capabilities, but there's no conversation. There's no personal interaction, whereas that's what most people love about a store. And plus, you can't touch and feel. So if my salespeople can actually go ahead and help you navigate what is actually a less tactile experience, I think that is better a better customer experience in the end. It means that I have someone to reach out to to say, you've seen me in person or you know what I usually buy. Should I buy a four or a six in this dress? Is it soft? Is it, I can't tell from the picture. What is this like? I will definitely sort of say like salespeople are, are a really critical part of retail, whether they exist in a store or they exist in an HQ somewhere. Giving them the capacity to help your online shoppers is, I think, a really big opportunity to differentiate yourself if you are an omnichannel brand. What's the opt-in for the tech side of things? It really is based on what your system has collected in the past. So we definitely, because we do not have connection to your e-commerce, we rely on whatever your Shopify system says about that. No, but I'm saying like if I wanted to receive text? brand brand direct text, yeah, text, exactly. Uh, you can initiate the conversation. So a lot okay. of our brand customers now list their Endear phone number on their website. 
So if I, you know, in other words, like if you want to get in touch, you can actually text us and a customer can text and start a conversation. And then if they're providing their phone number when they check out, things like that, they can leverage that to start a conversation. Facebook is about to launch their biggest update ever. And since Apple's iOS 14 update, Facebook's been going crazy trying to combat this. Well, they're about to get even crazier. We want to make sure that you're prepared for all the changes coming down the pike. And our friends over at Sprake Media are here to help. From attribution window changes to measuring and tracking performance issues you're going to run into, the Sprague Media team will audit your account and give you the right custom strategy your brand needs. With their in-house content production studio, they can show you what kinds of ads and strategies are going to increase sales and customer acquisition here in 2021. So reach out to them at spraguemedia.com and ask about how they can audit your ads for free. Once again, that's spraguemedia.com, S-P-R-A-G-U-E media.com. Okay, so we recently uh, had a conversation with Scott Emmons. He was, you know, formerly from Neiman Marcus Lab, and uh, now he's an advisor over at uh, Powerfront. Uh, actually, did he go by advisor? There was a we, we did have a conversation. Uh, brand about his, ambassador. Brand ambassador was the the title. Uh, but but yeah, they they do essentially they enable like video chat and in cool. real time kind of customer yep. service. I wonder if there's a play there, and unless you guys are looking to build out that sort of side yourself as well uh, for the actual platform, for the actual website. We are. We are. I think you've hit on something that we talk about always, and I think most startups do, and um, would love your thoughts on this, which is some features you should integrate and collaborate, and some features need to be homegrown. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on basically how impressed we are with what else is out there in the market. Versus, you know, how important is it for us to own this and make sure that it's a really frictionless experience for our customers and, and of course, in the end, their customers. Yeah, take a look at them. If, uh, if you're interested, sure. if you find that there's alignment, then happy to put you in touch. And the other side is, and I'm wondering to that same thought thread of technology, whether you build it in-house or outbound with partnerships, you know, I could see something like visual search tools being kind of a nice complement to what you're doing as well. Is there any work being done on the product recommendation side powered by like AI tools that have visual capability? Yes. Soon. Yeah. And by that, I mean, like, if you think we usually categorize things as like now, soon, later. And I would actually put yeah. that in the in even the later category, because what we found is as far as urgency is concerned, it's really the communication that people are most hungry for and the product aspect of it. People are sort of willing to deal with how manual it is, at least for now. I think, in fact, if you're a salesperson, you take a lot of pride in not having that automated and showing that that's actually something that you have an expertise in, whereas what you can't do on your own is you can't build a, a video chat platform for yourself. So we think a lot about what is it that our users need fundamentally that they can't do on their own. Do you have either currently or on your roadmap the, the ability to for a user to opt in at a certain level of interaction 
at least with a brand, with a specific brand where I'm like, okay, I might be the kind of person I'm like, yeah, give me from the brand. I want to hear everything. I want to know everything. I always want to have outreach. And some people are like, I only really want like, you know, urgent information on transactions from them, but I don't really want to be, you know, marketed to. So that's my level mm-hmm. of communication that I want. And then that, you know, filters the, how much comes to that person. Does that hold any water for you? Is there value in that? Or does that hurt the process? Is that too automated? I, I think it I think it does have value. We talk a lot about that, especially because of how that has evolved with with email, right? Which is I can go to my marketing preferences and I can say like only send me this or that. We have not built out any sort of system like that so far. It's pretty much right now and that's just the stage that we are in. It's kind of black and white. It's, you know, I either want to be open to conversation or mm-hmm. not. And I think your point is well taken, which is what we usually think about is not necessarily the content of that message, but who can send it to me. So mm. I can allow this one location to talk to me, but I don't need all 50 of your stores messaging me. I don't, right. I don't live those places. I have your e-com. I just want either this store or this person. And I trust that that person knows how much or how little to speak with me. I'm curious to hear about the journey a little bit and like what goes into, you know, building towards your customer. And I'm wondering, like, how do you continuously iterate and and figure out your now, later and future? I forget the three buckets you necessarily said, but how are you prioritizing and making sure that you are abreast of everything that your customer needs and wants beyond just surveying them? Well, you said beyond surveying them. I would say that there are a couple of ways to, that we think about that, which is, A, we do survey them. So I'll get mm-hmm. into that in a second. The other thing is we look at what are our competitors building and what are other complementary or sort of tangentially related products offering. So the one thing that I think we do a little bit differently from a lot of other startups is everyone on the team does customer service. And that's probably normal when you're a small team, which we are, but we actually plan to always have that be the case because we think that that is the best way to understand and actually force everyone on the team to speak to customers, understand what they are liking, what they're not liking, and actually also from a product perspective, walking through the steps that it takes to complete a certain task. And until you've actually walked through and realized, oh my God, you have to click this button like six times in order to send a message, this is trash. Like Until Mm -hmm. you as a member of the team have experienced that, you actually end up cutting yourself off from a lot of feedback, especially if you're putting one person in charge of customer service. Usually that person is also an entry-level person where they don't feel as empowered to voice concerns. They're more of an ops person. Their job is to keep articles you know, live and make sure that they're answering questions, but not saying fundamentally, well, rather than building a help article to solve this, shouldn't we just change the way the product works? Would it be within your the vision of your model lead to be able to interact, let's say with Beacon Technology, for example, to have reactive texts that you know about someone, you know that they shop with this particular retailer or they're in this particular geographic area, they walk in a physical mall or, or, or near a store, you're able to connect with their phone and then that sends them a text. I know that's not I didn't just invent that concept, but I'm saying no, that that <laughs> where where that text is now ha- has some level of personalization to it. Like you said, they know whether or not you have you, you wear size six, and it cannot just tell you, "Hey, there's a sale 
at this retailer, but we happen to know that they have this dress that you mm-hmm. s- that you looked at on their website because you were signed in on your account, and it's available yeah. in size six in the store right now. Yeah, is this the unified part? <laughs> the unified I, commerce? I, totally. So the way that we usually start things is we always start things manually. So rather than automating that text, okay. we would rather give a notification to the team there and say, Sally just walked by. Her last purchase was this. It was this mm. many days ago. Yeah. You have the option from there, like, send her a text. We have templates. We have dynamic fields. You can really send that text really efficiently, but still make sure that it feels like it's a human. Uh We usually like to start there before we introduce any sort of automation. That's mostly just the nature of our product. We really, like we put personalization and human touch first. And I think that's because so many people try to do it the other way. Let's automate, 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 and then we'll bring in personalization as we get more sophisticated. We went the other way. We said, let's be completely manual, but make it completely personal. And as we get more sophisticated as a product, we'll create more opportunities for you to be more efficient, you to be more automated. So how do you keep an eye on creepy cool versus regular cool? Like when does automation, when does that you know, micro understanding of the data that you have on consumers cross the line into creepy cool for you? And and will you say, eh, that's a little too much? <laughs> yeah. The thing is, I think it's, it's really subjective. Uh-huh. I think that I'm a millennial. I think Gen Z, their sense of like private space <laughs> and <laughs> what is intruding is very different even from me. So I think it's really about giving our users the right insights to understand who is going to be comfortable with what and also making sure, I, I mean, and that's the other beauty of manual. I think if I found out that it was literally a person that texted me something and I could say, hey, you can't text me that and then it was over, that feels a little different from, mm-hmm. you know, big brother and dear automating messages to me about things that I didn't even know that they knew about that. I think people actually trust humans more than they trust machines. And that is why a manual process can sometimes be beneficial. How fast is the recall in terms of enabling or empowering the associate or the salesperson uh, with like recommendations for that, for Sally? So Sally walked in, they might've purchased, you know, a catalog of these things in the last three months. So automatically now you're, your data is saying, hey, you may want to show them this. We don't do that yet. It's still more like, hey, this group of people bought this thing that I I built that segment as a user. I I know that we just got a whole new shipment of sweaters in. Mm -hmm. Let me go put together a list of people who bought blue sweaters and I'm going to send them this new blue sweater. We actually on the product recommendation side don't have any sort of AI at this point. Mm -hmm. Okay. Got it. Got it. Lee, I, I want to take it back to building and scaling a company, of course, amidst COVID particularly unique. So you had mentioned that you started the product in 2019. Of course, 2020 of March um, obliterated everything we knew about business and how companies and your clients and yourself are conducting themselves and, and communicating. And I'm kind of curious to hear about just your overall journey and you know your, your battle wounds or you know, like uh, triumphs over the last couple of years with this. I would say we, to your point, we had a pretty steady experience, slow but steady, to be honest, from mid-2019 all the way through 
March of 2020. And then honestly, our performance really, I think, aligned with what retail experience, which is there was a, a period of crisis, not sure what to do. Is this all over? What are we going to do? And then everyone, the entire industry was extremely resilient and yep. figured out that life goes on and we need to adapt to the new normal. And Endear was a big part of how they, fortunately for us, chose to adapt, which is, you know, I, I have stores, I have salespeople, they are valuable. I know that. So let me make sure that they have the resources they need to do their jobs from anywhere. And that is really where we found our footing. The product was always ready for that. It was always ready for them to realize how valuable that could be. But the urgency of COVID, I think, just spurred people to make decisions much more quickly rather than thinking of it as a you know, potential value added all of a sudden was a necessity. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I know uh, firsthand that a lot of teams, they, they cut their digital team first, right? And, and I'm not talking about on the startup side. I'm talking about on the retailer side. And that, is, of course, sounds completely backwards. But in March, you really had no idea what the hell was going on, right? And then when everything started coming back, and as you mentioned, we, we soon realized that digital is going to be the path out and the shovel that we use. It accelerated like crazy. But I'm wondering how you cut through the noise because, you know, these are teams that were often outstretched rebuilding themselves. And then they were also flooded with, you know, new product pitch sales, right? Some that are early, like super early stage and some that are well down their path. So that trust factor, I guess, just through the mere fact of, oh, they've been there for six years, right? So let me yeah. just, let me just pay the, pay that and be done with it and move on. So how did you end up getting in the door? You know, it's really funny because, again, it's a trend that we saw before that just was accelerated. Because of COVID, because everyone was saying, oh, stores are closed, e-commerce is going to be the way. Everyone pitches e-commerce. Everyone pitches the digital marketing team. Everyone pitches, you know, the person who is running social yeah. media ads because there are no other. there's no other way to advertise. Meanwhile, we're sitting here saying, what are you going to do? Close 40 stores? That's not feasible if you've been a physical retail-driven business your entire life. So we really stuck to our guns. We pitched the director of retail. We mm -hmm. pitched the physical stores. We are pitching the physical stores to make them more digitally apt and capable, yeah. but we're not abandoning physical retail. And I think a lot of people misconstrued what it meant for physical retail that COVID happened. We didn't do that. We, we really believed in it. You know, I think it's super interesting how retail, uh, like the actual physical retail is finally morphed into or, or figured its way out in terms of like what it means in the full ecosystem of a brand. Exactly. And, you know, in 2009, when I first started kind of in this space, it was like the, the apocalypse of physical retail, right? That, that was the conversation. And then let's say four or five years later, we're like, ah, completely wrong. Physical retail is number one. It's back. Everyone's got to have it. It's true, right? And yeah. and now with like e-com, look, it was going into COVID was about, let's say, 12% of overall revenue yeah. uh, for a brand uh, on average. And now it's sitting at about 50. It's not going to go down to 12, but it will kind of balance somewhere in between. Exactly. But it'll be like, a, it'll probably be a 3x of what it was before. I suspect that it'll be like 30 to 38% or somewhere around there of, of overall revenue. But mm -hmm. it's because 
the physical retail has figured out how to communicate digitally. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think is the most exciting part about how things have progressed over the last, say, 10 months. Yeah, it's coexisting, right? It's, yeah. it's, the, it's the same thing with email and text. They're going to coexist. It's not going to mm -hmm. shift completely into one thing or another. I don't think stores are obsolete. I think, if anything, what the trend we always talk about is all these brands show that you can't just be e-commerce. It's too competitive. It's too expensive. You know, all these hurdles. And there are so many stats that suggest even having one store can increase people's ability to trust you, people's yeah. ability to sort of discover you and, and buy for the first time. So I, I think you're right, which is I think every brand, the split is going to be a little different. I think your average is right, 70-30, but the 70 is still on the store side. So yeah, the notion that that stores all of a sudden are going to be 10% is, is nuts. Well, also, yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of, you know, there's people that prefer to go to a physical retail, but they've fallen in love with aspects of e-commerce Totally. Now yeah, that like they've experienced it really for the first time in a meaningful yeah. way, they're not just going to go, well, I'm not doing e-commerce anymore. I'm just going to go back to the physical store. So I think what you're going to see a lot more of, and I think we are, is physical stores saying, how can we allow people that experience of being in the store and the things that mm -hmm. you need to touch and feel and try on and all those things and, and just, just you know be out in the world and have an associate help you, especially in luxury. But how can we enable them to say, now I know that, now let me go to do this on create a seamless path to e-commerce for those who prefer to deal that way and not just it used to be just a little bit of either or and now yeah. now i think it's you can do one the other or both, both well, we're, well we're finally at that place that we've been talking about for so long which is you know like a unified experience and well, i think you that, that you know a, lo a lot of folks and strategists have been talking about getting to this point for a very long time but there's no fucking way that without COVID, we would even be here in the next five years. Agreed. Across the board, right? So, I yeah. mean, you know, the fact that retailers are now your pickup in store, they're your data, like data collection, they're your warehouses, they're yeah. like, I mean, they're providing last mile and stuff like that through things like, you know, like DoorDash and, you know, and Postmates and stuff like that. It's getting really super interesting to see how they're communicating together versus with one another. So. Yeah. Completely agree. Really cool. Well, it appears that the other place that we've arrived at is off-the-grid questions. Uh, See what I did there? So uh, we will look at the personal side of Lee right after this. Every business has at least one big pivotal moment. The moment when you say, okay, we're at this turning point, so... Then what? I'm Lahari Neil Peretti, founder of LN Accounting Advisor. I hope you'll join me each week on my podcast, Then What? As we talk with successful business leaders who push past their business's biggest then what moments and succeed in an even bigger way because of effective leadership and solid business practices. It's inspiring and deeply useful information for any entrepreneur. Subscribe to Then What on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find the best podcasts. And now 
It's time for questions off the grid with fashion is your business. All right, Lee, it is time for arguably perhaps our favorite part of the show, which is off the grid questions, where we ask questions that are uh, frankly a little off the grid, a little more personal in nature. We solve the order, the the battle between Puppet and I always, or any host on the show of who gets to go first or maybe who gets to go last for asking questions with a spin of our great big wheel of grid destiny. So I'm going to give that wheel a big spin. And the first question has from Puppet. Very good. Lucky you. So, Lee, you know, while we were in setup, for those that are listening, for those that are not Mark and Lee, uh, we, uh, we were, I, I came to learn that you are a New York City townie, and folks that grew up in the boroughs or, or outside of New York, close by but outside of Manhattan, let's say, I refer to folks that grew up born and bred in Manhattan as townies. I'm curious, like, look, you guys, look, it's a unique way of growing up. Right. New York City, uh, extremely unique in any other place in the world. So forget about even other metropolises. It's just different. I'm wondering if you could point back to your childhood or even uh, whenever it might have been where you came across a moment where you're just like, oh, shit. The way that I grew up was completely different than the rest of the world. I think the reality is those moments only happen once you once you leave the city. (laughs) So. Otherwise, it is, it's just how you grow up. So I, I, think, I think what really brought my attention to how different it was were a couple of things, which was my ability to – I had a lot of independence as a kid that a lot of my counterparts in suburbs or in more rural places didn't have because I could walk everywhere. I think one of the best parts about New York is the, the ability to walk mm-hmm. literally across from top to bottom Manhattan. When I was 10, I could walk two blocks down to the local deli or the coffee shop and you know spend my little allowance on just literally enjoying the fact that I could do that. And some of my best friends lived half a mile from me and I would walk to their houses and walk home by myself on my own schedule. And it was when I would go out of the city and I would go to camp and talk to my friends and the biggest question and the hardest part of their lives was, who's going to drive me somewhere? Mm-hmm. And I am a terrible driver. Like, people don't let me drive because I grew up in New York and it's basically for emergencies only do I get behind the wheel. And that is okay because I like to walk. So I think that's honestly like the walking and the independence that I had at a very, very young age was something that I, I treasured about growing up here. Awesome. And when, and, when, and when did you identify that that was very unique, though? Was there a specific moment? It was at camp. So I'm Jewish. It was at camp talking about our experiences with bar and bat mitzvahs and how we would get to and from those places and our experience, like getting, in my experience, getting to go with my friends in a taxi cab versus everyone else having to have their parents drive them Mm. to and from and basically like what kind of sort of space for bad things that allow to be honest very good all right another spin of the wheel and it has naturally arrived at me so i'm gonna sort of piggyback a little bit on pavin's question and that is if right now uh, other than the beautiful miracle that it would be something just lifted and COVID went away. The world is back to its normal level of access, at least as much as it can be after all this battle damage. If you could go now do anything that you've not 
allowed yourself to do or hasn't been available to you due to the pandemic, what is the first thing that you would race to do? So half my family lives in France and during the pandemic, a lot of my cousins have literally had children or gotten married, COVID marriages. I think the first COVID thing is marriages. I, I get, COVID marriages. <laughs> I, I get on a flight to, to Paris to go see them because the birth of a child is both extremely intimate and very exciting and also something that you really just cannot mess with during COVID specifically. Like if you are being reckless to any degree, you are not walking in the door if there's an infant. Mm-hmm. So that I think would be the, the greatest change is to get to go see the, the newest additions of my family. Oh, that's nice. Nice. And man, like how bizarre, right? Yeah. Like (laughs) so frustrating. This whole thing is. Travel is so frustrating and the opening and closing of countries and the opening Mm -hmm. and closing two different countries is extremely, extremely frustrating. Yeah. No kidding. You know, the number of things that have, I think about, and I'm just one person, but within just my immediate sphere of people. The number of people, including us, my wife and I, that had very significant life events planned that were not able mm-hmm. to either undertake them at all or have either delayed them indefinitely or they were undertaken in a completely different way than you ever imagined is just – and unfortunately, everything from you know not being able to have a funeral or attend a funeral to yeah. not mm-hmm. getting married, you know, like you said, COVID marriage, you know, uh, or um, – you know, we haven't gone on a honeymoon yet. Who knows when we will be able to do that? Because I'd rather wait to go on a good one than just go on one because you're supposed to go on one. That's such a small first world problem. But I'm saying, you Sorry, know, to, to, yes. to obviously, you know, I mean, people who don't see their – I know my wife and I, like many people, we haven't seen our family in over a year. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we don't know when we'll be able to do that. And it's scary when you have older parents, for example. So not to be depressing and all deep, but I'm just saying it's totally. just – it's it's such an astonishing thing to think about your expect- – with your business too, you know, expectations that you had. I know going into this year – we were looking at all of these unbelievable partnerships and strategic things that were going to be undertaken that none of that has happened at all evaporated like many businesses. And it's just been a different year. I'm excited about the potential of like all of us. Look, everyone or most people that are mindful, empathetic, whatever you want to say, are taking this moment to take a step back, right? Reflect on yep. what's important and all that stuff. You heard this a billion times over the last 10 months, but it's really true. Like, yep. Those moments, those small moments that may have felt small before, we identify and understand how big they are. So like, for instance, like when my friends are having children, like, or my family, like I understand the magnitude of that event by being restricted. So when it comes back and I'm able to engage, I'm going to prioritize the little things. (laughs) Oh, like a 10 X, you know, like I have, I have a couple friends that weren't able to see the, be in the hospital for the birth of their kids. There was like yeah. two weeks in New York or three weeks in New yeah. York where you were not literally allowed in, yeah. right? And, yeah. you know, they two people had kids during that time in my, in my circle. So it's like, shit. Yeah. That's a big thing. That's not a small thing. That's a big thing. It's so weird because I think for everyone, there are moments of being, you know, humans are incredibly adaptable and know how to come to terms with whatever their reality is. And that's definitely like a a positive, but 
then there are those sort of spikes when something like that will happen or you'll have an actual COVID scare or you'll hear some really bad mm -hmm. news. And you're just like, fuck it. This thing sucks. And mm -hmm. like, yeah. I'm fine for the most part, but every once in a while, it's just, it feels outrageous and mm -hmm. it feels yeah. terrible. Yeah. And you just like, it dawns on you exactly what you've been putting up with for the last X amount of days that you have managed to not really think about it and just go through yeah. emotions. Totally. Yeah. Bizarro times. I'm happy you guys are well, though. Well, let, let, you, yes. where can people leave, go to celebrate and participate in not the little thing, but the big thing that you guys have, have built and that can keep growing? Where can they find what you're doing and interact with you and perhaps even, even connect with you directly? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have our website, endearhq.com, which is where anyone can learn more about the product. And then as far as sort of connecting more personally, we're a small team. So any email you see on that website comes back to me in one way or another. <laughs> and, and honestly, we're also really active on LinkedIn. That's sort of become our, our social media channel of choice. We definitely love connecting with people. We love doing opportunities like this and getting to chat with like-minded people about where the industry is, is headed and, and what we're looking at. So we'd love to chat with anyone who wants to keep chatting. All right. Awesome. Thank you very much, Lee Seven. What a, a joy to talk with you. Thank you very much for joining us. Such an exciting company you've built and you really clue, you. cued in on something that, uh, or maybe it's clued in on Hopefully. something, but you're definitely involved <laughs> with something that's got an immense promise. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. That's it for this episode of Fashion is Your Business. We're so happy you were along for the ride. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week. But until then, for Pub and Ball. Shake it easy. I'm Mark Waco. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye. This has been Fashion Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2021. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. Thank you.